0: John chapter 15, <laughs> we'll begin by reading verses 12 through 17. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth, I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. These things I command you, that ye love one another. Last week we covered verses 12 through 14. And the emphasis was on verse 13 where Jesus defines the greatest of love is to lay down our life for our friends. It's probable that God is not going to call you to die for your friends. But He has certainly called us to live for our friends. Are you willing to go the extra mile for your friends? The same is true with our relationship with Christ we must be willing to die for Him. But we definitely are called to live for Him. Amen. Amen. Live for Him in such a way that the world will know you're willing to die for Him. And remember that Jesus went beyond just dying for His friends. He died for His enemies. He died for you and me. We were all born at enmity with God. We were born sinners. Romans 5, 6-8 says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That verse is amazing because it says some might die for one that's righteous, some might die for one that's good, but listen, we weren't born righteous and we weren't born good. We were without hope, but Christ died for all sinners. Our Lord showed the greatest of love possible when He laid down His life for us. His life for mine, that's what it was last week. And what's amazing about that is He had nothing to gain except our friendship. Listen, once you you get a hold of Christianity being a friendship with God, it changes your life. Hallelujah, what a Savior. It is beyond just me following some religious manual. It is beyond just me following some precepts of the church. Amen. It is me walking with God. He is my friend. Look at verse 15. Henceforth, I call you not servants... For the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. Christ exhibited the greatest love possible when He died for us. God in the flesh took our place on the cross to save us, to reconcile us to God, to bring us into a relationship with God Almighty. Therefore, the greatest friendship you can possibly have is a friendship with God. It's not somebody on Facebook. No other friendships can ever compare to a friendship with God. Now, godly friendships are good and they can be very beneficial. Proverbs twenty-seven, seventeen says, Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. You see, the right kind of friendships will encourage us in our walk with the Lord. But understand this morning that even our earthly friendships have weaknesses. Isn't that right? right? Our earthly friends at some point disappoint us because we're all sinners. None of us are perfect. Sad to say, I've disappointed every one of my friends. To some degree, especially, and, and here's what's interesting. You really end up disappointing those you are most closest to. And here's the reason why. Because the more you see of somebody else, the more you realize they're not perfect. The more you grow close to somebody uh, in the flesh, the more you see that side of them that still needs to be worked on. See, we can hide it pretty good in here this morning, right? Right? We can all put on a smile. We can look like we're Christians. We can act it. We can talk it. But for those of you that are close friends in here and you fellowship outside of the church, maybe you hang out together, at some point you start to see things and go, I don't like that. And that's just life. It's because we're not perfect. That's why it's rare to have a friendship that lasts a lifetime, because we do disappoint. And it takes somebody who will look past our shortcomings, that will look beyond our faults, and will forgive us and still be our friend, that will be patient with us as we grow with the Lord. But I said all that to say this. The great thing about Christ is, the more you get to know Him, the more perfect you realize He is. There's no flaw in Him. The closer you grow to the Lord, unlike our earthly friendships that we eventually realize they're going to disappoint us. Jesus will never disappoint you. Amen. There's no greater honor than to be called a friend of God. You know, uh, Charles Weigel wrote a wonderful song, and I wish I had the story behind the song for you this morning. Because the story when he penned these words is, is wonderful. Wonderful. He wrote a song entitled, No One Ever Cared For Me Like Jesus. I want you to listen to the first first verse. I would love to tell you what I think of Jesus, since I found in him a friend so strong and true. I would tell you how he changed my life completely. He did something that no other friend could do. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend so kind as he. No one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much he cared for me. See, he's a friend that goes beyond earthly friendships. It's an honor to be called a friend of God. How do we become his friend? Well, verses 14 and 16, when we take those together, it makes it clear that we are to love one another. But we covered this thought last week. So what else does the Bible say about being the friend of God? We know the Bible is full of people who are friends of God. But there's one person that is explicitly called the friend of God in the Bible. And that man is Abraham. What can we learn from Abraham in the context of being a friend of God? Well, James 2.23 says, And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. We see that Abraham's called the friend of God because he believed. What did Abraham believe? According to Genesis 15, he believed God about the promised seed to come. And without breaking all that down, it has its ultimate fulfillment in Christ. See Galatians chapter 3. Therefore, what Abraham believed in becoming the friend of God is he believed the gospel. Of Jesus Christ. You say no that doesn't sound right to me. Because uh, Abraham lived way back then. Well listen to Galatians 3.8. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith. Preached before the gospel unto Abraham. Saying in thee shall all nations be blessed. The gospel was preached to Abraham. Now, if some people would get a hold of that, it would really upset their theology. But that's a message for another time. We see from Galatians 3 that faith in the gospel is what justifies the heathen. The loss can be justified, which means we can be just as if we've never sinned. We do that through faith. Faith and trusting in God's salvation through Christ by believing the gospel. The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And so as we we put this together, Abraham believed God. He believed the gospel. And he was called the friend of God. Now when James wrote Abraham believed God, it also says it was imputed unto him for righteousness. Having God's righteousness imputed means, this is something else a lot of people really need to learn to get, but again I'm trying to stay on target. Because Abraham needed God's righteousness imputed upon him, it means that Abraham was not righteous in of himself. He still needed God's righteousness. He still needed to be saved. He was not good enough in the sight of God. He needed God's righteousness. When Abraham believed the gospel, then God's righteousness was imputed on him. Which means the righteousness of Christ was now upon Abraham. What a thought. Are you getting this? Believed God. Believed the gospel. God's righteousness then added to Abraham's account. Yeah. He now is walking around with the righteousness of God upon him. The Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians 3.9, And be found in him not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. You see, our righteousness is not good enough. In fact, the Bible says our righteousness are as filthy rags in the sight of God. And our righteousness will not matter in the day we stand before Almighty God. We're all going to be judged. All that will matter in that day is whether or not God sees the righteousness of Christ upon us. It was after Abraham believed God that he had God's righteousness imputed unto him. Then the Bible says, Abraham was called the friend of God. You see, you can't have friendship with God without going through the cross. You've got to get salvation through Christ alone. Then we get the righteousness. We get the forgiveness of sin. Then we become a friend of God. And what's amazing about this, in 2 Chronicles 20 and verse 7, it says, Abraham is God's friend forever. 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 Therefore, you can have the greatest friendship ever offered to mankind a friendship that lasts for all eternity by simply placing your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. All you have to do is have faith in the gospel. I don't know, that's too simple. Well, the Bible says that uh, it's as simple as a child could understand it. Many of you got saved when you were a child. You were able to understand it. The Bible also says that God chooses the weak things of this world to confound the mighty. It's understand. It's easy to understand. It's simple. You place your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Just have faith in the gospel. So I would ask you this morning, are you the friend of God? Are you God's friend? Because people walk around going, that's too high for me. God couldn't be my friend. God, you must not know what all I've done everybody okay this morning? It's just deader than a doornail in here. And people walk around as a sad sack thinking that they could never measure up to, to God. And, and yet, God's the one that does the measuring. God's the one that paid the price. God's the one that says, I'm all you need. And if we'll just place our faith in Him, then I want to tell you this morning that every single one of us in here can be a friend to God. It's not mystical. It's not something out of reach. But it's something that all of us can have. Don't think you're... So, look, don't be that person that says, but I've done this and I've done that. I understand that. But I want to tell you this morning that God's hand can reach lower than you can get. Amen. Amen. It can reach farther. It can reach you where you're at. Right. Amen. He says He can save from the uttermost. One preacher said from the uttermost to the guttermost. I don't care how far you get this morning. Jesus Christ, his blood can cleanse you. Now, what does it look like to be a friend of God? Well, it's walking with God. Amos 3.3 asks the question, can two walk together except they be agreed? It's agreeing with God. It's agreeing with his word. Genesis 5.24 says, Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. That's a pretty good day with a friendship with God. Oh, yeah. <laughs> somebody said, somebody put it this way. Uh, Enoch and God were walking along and, and Enoch said, well, I guess I better turn around and go home. And God said, why don't you just come on home with me? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the friend of God. He walked with God. Hebrews 11.5 says, by faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. Before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Now, i would be wonderful if I'm walking along and I'm out. What happened to Gary? He walked with God and he is not. What a blessing. Don't use my first name. I hate my name. I hate it. I hate the name Gary. Is anybody in here named Gary? See, nobody likes it. Now, Enoch was a friend of God, walking with God, living a life pleasing in the sight of God. Now, how do we accomplish that? Well, the next verse in Hebrews 11, verse 6 says, But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Enoch was a friend of God, walking with God, pleasing God by faith. That's all you got to do. If we piece all this together, we see that faith is what enables us to enter into a relationship with God. And it is a life of faith that demonstrates we are a child of God. That we are God's friend when we live a life by faith. To walk with God as His friend and to walk by faith as His friend, it means we have severed our relationship with the world. That's the hard one to get right there. James 4.4, 4, the question is asked. Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? And then we read, whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. 1 John 2.15 and 16 say, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. So to be a friend of God, we have to agree with Him. To be a friend of God, we have to agree with Him. We have to believe by faith. We have to walk by faith. And we have to sever our relationship with the world. Matthew 6, 24 says, No man can serve two masters. For either he'll hate the one and love the other, or else he'll hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. I ask you again. Are you a friend of the Lord's today? Now, if you're a friend of God, then we see in verse 15 that we are not treated as servants. A servant or a bond slave doesn't know what his master does, nor does he have a right to ask. He doesn't even have a right to expect to know what his master does. But we see at the end of verse 15 that those who are the friends of God can know what the Father wants us to know because Christ has made that known unto us through his word. You see, when we were born again, though we serve him, we do so out of love and not out of fear. And we're treated as equals. Now, that blows my mind. This is God Almighty we're talking about. His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. So where do you get that idea from? Romans 8, 15 through 17. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness, beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Amen. If so be that we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. Do you realize that you're a joint heir with Christ this morning? <laughs> God could never, He can never love me. He can never do anything with me. Uh, the Bible says, if you're in Christ. You're a joint heir. We we heard the song sung last week, His Life for Mine. There's a line which says, His crown of thorns made me royalty. I want to tell you this morning, brothers and sisters in Christ, listen to me. You are royalty this morning. My brother is the king of kings. I am a child of God. And join heirs with Christ. Amen. We are a chosen generation. That's right. The Bible says we are a royal priesthood. We have something to be joyous about this morning. Amen. Dare I say we have something to shout about? Amen. I would say we have something to take a lap about, but Karen would just be walking. <laughs> and Cindy's in the nursery, so I can't pick on her. Don't let this world drag you down. That's right. Do you hear me this morning? Stand up straight. Square your shoulders back. Look the enemy dead in the eye. You're a child of the king. Amen. Amen. And you let him know he cannot be victorious. He cannot rob you of your joy. Amen. He cannot keep you from glorifying God. Because you're a child of God and join heirs with Christ. Are you seeing just how blessed you really are to be in Christ this morning? So many people have this woe is me brand of Christianity. But I want to tell you, lift up your heads. The day of your redemption draweth nigh. It's not a burden to be a child of God. It's a blessing. I've gained the greatest friend the world could ever know. I've not lost anything as a Christian. That's the lie the devil's going to try to tell you. Well, if you become a child of God, you've got to give this, 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 and up. And, and, you know, God forbid, if you start to serve them, you're just going to be miserable. I want to tell you, that's not the case. I've not lost a thing. This world has nothing lasting to offer me. I'm just passing through. This world is not my home. We are pilgrims and strangers just passing through. We are in search of a city whose builder and maker is God. We have here no continuing city. Don't get so wrapped up in this world. I had nothing to offer Christ. But now I have heaven to gain. It's all because of him. And those things which were once gained to me, I now count them but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, that I may win Christ. Look at verse 16. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. Christ chose them. They did not choose him. What does this mean? they did not find this man named Jesus and rally around Him and elevate this man to the status of their earthly leader. But rather, Christ, three and a half years earlier, walked up to these men and He said two words, Follow Me. And immediately, these men got up and they left all and they... Followed Christ. What power there is in the words of Christ. But I want you to understand, Christ still speaks those two words to all of mankind, but only a few will actually do it. Jesus said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead. But go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And also another said, Lord, I will follow thee. But let me first go bid them farewell, which are at my home, or which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. He said, Follow me. They said, Oh no no, I can't yet. I've got something else I've got to do. Luke eighteen verses eighteen through twenty tweet, Uh twenty tweet. <laughs> I make it look good, but it's hard. Luke chapter 18, verses 18 through 22. And a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? None is good save one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. And he said, All these have I kept from my youth up. Now when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, Yet lackest thou one thing. Sell all that thou hast, distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And then he said this, And come, follow me. The call to follow Christ has been ringing throughout the ages. So what made these eleven men so special? Simply put is the fact that they responded to Jesus' call of follow me. They just responded to it. It isn't that they were these awesome men. They were men of like passion. They were conceived in sin. Are you with me this morning? They they were not some special super people. They were not these super Christians that Jesus said, I've got to have you. I've got to have you working for me. That's not how it went down. Jesus went up and He found some men with some work ethic. He found some men that weren't lazy. And He went up to them and He just said this, Follow Me. And they forsook all they had and they followed Him. It wasn't that they had this great power. But see, so many people today say, man, God could never use my life. They answered the call. The Bible says many are called, but few are chosen. We sometimes consider certain people from the Bible as almost deserving of what they were able to do for Christ. We sometimes hear of great men and women from our past and we somehow conclude that God... Couldn't do that for me, but He could do that for them. That isn't true. That isn't true. I'm sure all have heard the cliches out there, like God doesn't call the qualified, but He qualifies the call. That's more than just a cute slogan, it's true. I can tell you that I never thought God would ever use me as a pastor. But He's doing it. And it's not because I'm some spiritual giant. That is for sure. And there's five people on the front row that can testify to that. God simply delights in those who will get up and follow Him. Saul of Tarsus was an unlikely candidate to lead the first century church. He persecuted the church. He threw Christians in jail. He testified against them to their death. He may have even cast stones at some of them. He was a rising star in Judaism. But the Lord met him one day on the road to Damascus. He was on his way to round up more Christians, to bring more bound to Jerusalem, to be punished for being a follower of Christ. And Jesus said to him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And Paul, when testifying to King Agrippa, said, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. In other words, Saul arose and he followed Christ. Acts 26 verses 22 and 23 say, Having therefore, this is Paul giving his testimony, Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day, witnessing both the small and great, saying none of the things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come, that Christ should suffer and that He should be the first that should rise from the dead and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. And this most unlikely of candidates became known as the Apostle Paul. He was the penman of at least 13 epistles in our New Testament. Probably 14 if we give them Hebrews. He established churches traveling westward throughout the Roman Empire. He did great things for God. But it all started when He was saved on the road to Damascus and Jesus said, follow me. And He said, yes Lord. If God could use Him God can use you. He didn't deserve to be used. Not in the way we think. But if God can use Saul of Tarsus and turn him into probably the greatest servant of God, he can use your life. God wants to use all of mankind. He wants all to be saved. But only those who will answer his call can be. And once you have decided to follow him, then you can become among the group of God's chosen. God can use your life. We see in verse 16 that those who are in Christ are ordained to bring forth fruit. And this is fruit which remains. You see, the end result of faith in Christ, walking with the Lord by faith, is a life filled with producing fruit. In verse 16, it says that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Statements like that, we have to take in context. Jesus here says, if if you ask me, I'll do it. Some people read a verse like that and they think God's going to help them win the lottery. But the context is bearing fruit for God. Can I help you with something this morning? Instead of asking God to give you the keys to a brand new car... How about asking him to give you souls to testify of the grace of God too? Stop being so selfish in your prayers. Start praying for fruit that will remain. He'll give it to you if you pray according to his will. And his will in this passage is that you bear fruit. When's the last time you just prayed to be a fruit-bearing Christian? When's the last time you went out of your way to testify to somebody that they needed Christ as their Savior? Aren't you glad somebody told you? Are you a friend of God today? can be are you walking by faith you can be have you severed your relationship with the world you can are you bearing fruit you can be it's not exclusive to some pre-selected group of people but it's for whosoever will answer the call of god whosoever will follow him Bearing fruit is the end result of all of this. You go to Him in faith, you walk with Him by faith, you divorce the world, and you'll have fruit which remains. It's for every one of us. Let's pray.